Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your mother and your father, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to the Lord, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. So now our Lord and our God, the one who is and always has been, the one who is and always will be, we this morning enter your presence as your people. We enter your presence by your spirit, and we enter your presence as we open your word. Oh, God, would you speak to us today? Would you teach us today? Would you cleanse us today? Would you make Jesus massive and magnificent to us today? Would you do great works in this gathering today? This is our prayer. This is our prayer, oh God. Would you work? Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. It's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 15, where Suzanne just read for us. Um. It was the fall of 1997. That was a long time ago. I'm getting old. And um, just show of hands, who wasn't born in 1997 here? Less than I would have thought. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, 
I was a freshman at a Baptist college, and our baseball coach made me go to an FCA meeting that I didn't want to go to. Now, at this point in my life, I had a bit of a schizophrenic spiritual thing going on. I mean, I was at a Baptist college, and I knew for certain that I didn't like Baptists. Um, by the way, if you didn't know that, you're at a Baptist church. That's what makes this funny. Anyway, um, <laughs> I thought, thought, I mean, I wasn't that bad of a guy. I never killed anyone. I'd never been arrested. I wasn't participating in the drug trafficking ring in my dorm room. And um, I felt like I was doing pretty well. And it was at an FCA meeting before 7 a.m. that this passage was used by the Lord to convince me for the first time that I was unclean. And that I needed something, not just to be a little better, not just to dot some I's, not just to go to church a little more faithfully, but that I was unclean. So in the words of the song, we just sang, the Lord used this passage at an FCA meeting to convince me that I had a crimson stain. Now, it took several months for me to believe that Jesus had washed it white as snow. But the point is understanding the crimson stain is the path to salvation. Understanding that you are a part of the crimson stain is the path to salvation. And religious people, for us to understand that vestiges of sin and death that are still within us, seeing them for what they are is the path to healing and wholeness and sanctification and to being like the Lord. Here's one of the things that boggles my mind so much, and I'm starting with me. I'm not pointing any fingers at you. The Lord knows the heart. You're not hiding anything from him. And yet we posture our whole lives to hide the truth like he doesn't already know. So my prayer for all of us today is very simply this. Oh God, would you show every person here who we really are before you such that we could move toward you. The path forward is always through seeing the crimson stain on us. Now, what this passage is going to do is it's going to use a conversation about religious tradition to show us the truth of what we really are. And so what Jesus is going to say in this passage is that our words and our actions are a mirror to who we really are on the inside. Our words and our actions are a mirror to what we really love, value, cling to, and pursue. And I always use this analogy because it's always true. So that means that fight you had in the car on the way to church this morning, 
that reveals something about everybody in the car. And it reveals how much we need Jesus. Assuming your family's like, well, all families. So the truth that Jesus is going to convey is that the heart of a man is the source of words and actions, and it's at the heart of a man or a woman where the gospel work is done. It's at the heart of a man or woman where Jesus does his work. Now, lest I bury the lead, this sermon's going to show us crimson stain, crimson stain, crimson stain, crimson stain. But Jesus came to take what was crimson and make it white. Jesus came to take the stain and bring wholeness and healing and restoration and salvation. He is the answer because he paid it all. He paid everything those sins deserved. Matthew's story hasn't gotten there yet, but we know where it's going. So today I want you to wrestle with this question. Lord, what are you showing me about me and how is Jesus the solution to those realities? So as I said, this is going to play out in a conversation about tradition. So what happens is the Pharisees and the scribes, those are like the good, uber-religious, dot-your-I, cross-your-T kind of Jews. They come out from Jerusalem and I can't speak to the normal habits of scribes and Pharisees, but in the Gospels, they never come for good reasons. They always come to try to back Jesus into a corner and devalue and, and disprove his ministry. And they've come to do that again. So they come to him with a question. And the question is this. Why do your disciples, this is in verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, so for all the medical professionals here, we understand the common grace wisdom of washing our hands before we eat. Okay, it's not up for conversation here. The question is, does the Lord require it? Does the Lord require it? So the first question in this interaction is this. Is tradition bad? Is tradition bad? And the answer to the question is it depends what you do with tradition. I feel like we Protestants have been reliving this question since the 1500s. And our answer is, yeah, tradition's bad. All we need is the Bible. Bible's good. The Bible gets the first word and the last word. But if tradition helps us walk in the ways of the Bible, kudos to tradition. So the question is, is not, is tradition bad? The, the, the ultimate answer is, it depends. Trish, tradition as an idea is neither good nor bad. It depends what you're doing with it. But in this case, Jesus looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and says, this tradition of yours is bad because it misses the heart of God as laid out in his word. So they try to back Jesus into this corner and they say, why do your disciples not wash their hands when they eat? 
And Jesus doesn't immediately answer the question, but like a good rabbi, he poses another question to them. But it's not really a question, it's an indictment. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Let's just go right to the heart of it. Why do you choose your tradition over the commandment of God? You might say, well, that's, that's a bit punchy, isn't it? Or deserved. He gives them another example. He says, I'm not going to take up your first question about hand washing just yet, but God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's from the Ten Commandments. But you say, your tradition says, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now here's what's going on. The the scribes and the Pharisees came up with an old Israeli Ponzi scheme here. And this is how it goes, okay? The word of God commands that you take care of your father and mother and honor them fully. The scribes and the elders came up with this thing called Corbin, part of the verbal tradition, which was this. Well, technically, yes, you're supposed to honor your father and mother, but if you promise it to the temple and you promise it to the leaders of Judaism upon your death, then you can't, it's locked in. You can't give it to your father and mother. You can't give it to the poor. You can't give it to the needy. But you can live off of it. So with religiosity all around, they came up with an idea that said, I tell you what, you hang on to your money. You satisfy yourself with it. And when you die, you promise you give us what's left over. And then you don't have to care for your father and mother. You don't have to care for the poor. You don't have to care for the needy because you've promised it to the Lord in the end. Some of you are looking at me like, dude, what are you talking about? Exactly. And so what Jesus is saying is, in the spirit of sounding sophisticated and well thought out and fiscally responsible, what you've really done is you've undermined the very principles of the word of God, which are father and mother are to be cared for, the needy are to be cared for, the poor are to be cared for. So how dare you religious leaders create a tradition that leads people to violate the very words of God? So when Jesus says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? And then he says again in verse 6, So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their whole being is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what Jesus first says is, why are you coming at me with a tradition that violates the word of God and misses the point of what God intended? 
Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, your tradition denies and belittles and muddies the word of God. And this is bad. This is bad. Now, before we become young rebels... I do think it's important that we recognize that in the beginning, this oral tradition of the scribes and the Pharisees had good intent. It had good intent. Its intent was to protect people from violating the law. But in protecting people from violating the law, they were creating a religion that was never what God intended to begin with, and that is bad. That's bad. I mean, think this through. Back to hand washing. There are a host of laws in the Mosaic law about not eating unclean foods, right? So, I mean, I can see, like, well, if, I, if my hands are unclean, then perhaps my hands would make the food unclean before I eat the food, and then somebody might accidentally eat unclean food. So let's just create this whole system of how you need to wash your hands to make sure that you don't accidentally eat unclean food. Good motive, right? Never the point. A good motive, but never the point. Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees because in their tradition, their verbal tradition, they have undermined the word of God. So this brings us to some implications. Number one. Not all laws, rules, and traditions are good. Not all laws, rules, and traditions are good. We're called to be faithful to the Lord and to his word. We are not called to be faithful to what religious people think we ought to to do and say and think. Our allegiance is to God himself as revealed in his word. Second, let's not go too far the other way. Oh, hold on. Not all laws, rules, and traditions are good. So anyone who's in a position of power, parents, leaders, are the rules and laws and traditions that we're stacking up, are they good? Are they ultimately pushing our kids toward the Lord, those that we lead toward the Lord, toward his word, toward his ways, are they actually undermining it? Second, not all laws, rules, and traditions are bad. And I know that's the antithesis of what I just said. Not all laws, rules, and traditions are bad. I think there's a tendency to overread this passage and be like, down with tradition, down with the way things have always been done, down with history, down with past obedience, down with past, past faithfulness. We're the generation that's going to take it right back to the book of Acts, and we don't need your help. Except you do, because we were that generation 20 years ago, 
And our parents were that generation 40 years ago. And our grandparents were that generation 70 years ago. And we need some help. All laws, rules, and traditions are not bad. Many of them are given to us by God as a blessing so that we'll walk in his ways. Third, the word of God is always right and always good. The word of God is always right and always good. Again, Jesus is concerned not that they have a tradition, but that their tradition is breaking the commandment of God, that their tradition is making void the word of God. The word of God is right and good always. Now, let me give us a Bible Belt caution here, okay? This doesn't mean that all we have and all we need is the Word of God. Here's what I mean. Like, the Word of God is sufficient to give us Jesus and give us all we need for a life of godliness. But we can still have rules and guides and helps in the world as long as they're subjected to the word of God. The word of God should get the first word. The word of God should get the last word. But you can still listen to your doctor. You can still follow your employment handbook or your student handbook. You can still play by the rules. You can still go to therapy. You can still take medication. You can still do all those things and the word of God get the first word and the last word. We can live in common grace without undermining the word of God. But there are a whole lot of things masquerading as common grace that do undermine the word of God. So we have to be careful that the word of God gets the first word to shape the conversation and the last word to make sure that where we're moving is moving us into the right direction. Fourth, The goal of laws and rules and traditions is not so that we can make ourselves clean enough. It's not possible for us to make ourselves clean enough before the Lord. The goal of laws and rules and traditions should be to point us to the Lord. To point us to the Lord. So teenagers, I'm going to burst some bubbles for you. It's okay for your parents to have curfew for you. It's okay for your parents to tell you how much technology you can consume. It's okay for your parents to tell you who you can be friends with and not be friends with. It's okay for your parents to tell you um, a whole host of things about life. But parents, the challenge for you is, am I doing these things, giving these parameters because I want to be right Or am I giving these parameters because I want to point my kids to Jesus? It's a delicate balance we live in. The goal is never to make ourselves clean enough. That's not possible. The goal is to show us that we need Jesus. 
And from the beginning to the end of the Bible, one of the purposes of law is to show us how much we need God's grace. Let's push us to the second point. And I've asked somebody to preach in a couple weeks, so I can't delay this second point to next week. We've got to go. Building off this idea of we're never clean enough, the, the second part of the passage pushes us to this question. What corrupts me? What corrupts me? And this is Jesus' answer in the passage. Not what you put into yourself, but what flows out of you. That is what corrupts you. So when he talks about the heart here, the, the understanding of heart in the scripture is kind of the command center of the body. The place where decisions are made, the place where motives lie, the place where um, longings lie, the place that steers the whole being. That's the heart. And so Jesus says, a corrupt heart does corruptible things. And a heart that is redeemed and that is pure will pursue pure things. Just look very closely at Verse 18. What comes out of the mouth passes into the, excuse me, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So what Jesus is saying is, I believe two things. Who we are is what corrupts us. Who we are is what corrupts us. Now, we could look back on our lives and say, but who we hang out with and what we put into our being can impact who we are, yes, but who we are is what corrupts us, not whether or not our food is ceremonially clean. The question of the day. Second, what Jesus is saying is the words and the actions that flow out of us are a clear reflection of who we really are. So number one, let our words and actions be a gauge of what is really going on in our heart. Scripture says the Lord knows the heart, true. But what I say and what I do, and I'm going to add what I think, are clear windows into what's really going on inside of me, who I really am. This was the truth that the Lord used to convince me that I was unclean. Because the words and the actions and the behaviors in my life said, I am not filled with the Spirit. God. 
And as I said earlier, it's okay to be honest about what's really there. The path forward is a path toward honesty. So the things you've said this week that are unholy, unwise, unloving, evil, and angry, those things came from somewhere. They came from you. A loved one or a friend may have triggered you, but they didn't put that in you. Kind of stinks, doesn't it? Welcome to Redeemer. I want to go a little bit further. What about those things that we think but don't actually say or do? So there's the person in the traffic jam wailing on their horn and using all of their fingers to send signals and messages. And then there's me, somewhat haughtily, sitting with my hands crossed, thinking the exact same thing. That anger and that evil, it's in here too. So, why does the Lord want us to know this? He wants us to know it so that we'll see how much we need Jesus. And we'll see what Jesus really came to do for us. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like me circa 1997 and maybe for the first time you're going, oh, unclean. There's evil in me. There's sin in me. You need to know this. So were all of us. But Jesus came to take all the evil and the unclean and the unholy and the unacceptable and pay the penalty for it. Take all the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, all of that fear upon himself so that we could be delivered and freed and called children of God. What if today you were for the first time able and willing to say, I'm evil, but Jesus can do something about it. Oh, don't let this day pass without crying out to him and asking him to do something about it. Second, why would Jesus reveal this? So those who are his children can press on toward him. So what I hope for all of you who know the Lord and walk in his ways is that you'll, you'll assess who you really are. And when you see that which is evil still in there, I don't think the presence of some evil in your heart disqualifies you from being a child of God because we're slowly and progressively having that purge out of us. But when we see it, don't make peace with it. Jesus died to free us from it. Run to him and ask him to help us move forward. But I also hope you'll look back and you'll go, oh, but I see where he's changed. 
I see where he's healed. I see where he's restored. I see where he's changed my thinking and changed my actions. Oh, and yesterday, I wanted to scream at my spouse, but I stopped in the middle because the Spirit of God is in me. Yesterday, I wanted to drop kick one of my children into the windstorm so they would blow to New Jersey, but the Lord restrained me. These are signs of his grace. Hypothetically speaking. So my prayer is that this passage would stir a great self-awareness and honesty in all of us. And then this passage would push us all a step or five closer to Jesus than when we came in here this morning. And maybe for some of us for the first time to go, oh, that's what all this church talk about Jesus is. I need Jesus too. Everything began to change for me when I realized that I needed Jesus too. To our Father and our God, we pray you would do this work today. We pray you would bear much, much fruit. Whatever needs to be done in this gathering among your people that would honor you, we pray you would do it. We ask this in Jesus' name.